love that song because we just sang, every victory is his. Do you believe that Christ all should have given up for the Lord? Come on. Amen. Well, great to see you. It's great to have you here. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at CF. And I want to welcome everyone right now watching us online and watching us at our local campuses, specifically our first-time guest. Listen, if it's your first time here today, listen, we hope that you're feeling loved and encouraged. It's an honor to have you here with us, but we especially hope that you walk out feeling encouraged from God's Word. And so, family, can we give it up to those of us who are joining us today for the first time? Thank you so much for being with us today. And today, we are actually wrapping up a short three-week series called Back to the Future. Well, we in our journey through, through the Gospel of Mark, we have been studying Mark chapter 13, which is called the Olivet Discourse, where our Lord began to unfold certain prophetic teachings about the future. Last week, we learned about this period of time called the Great Tribulation. And today, we're going to be looking at the second coming of our Lord. And so I am ready and excited to dive into God's Word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 13, verse 24 through 26. And you can follow along with me as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. With great what? And with great what? Don't you love that? With great power and glory. And then it says in the book of Zechariah, it says, And on that day... The Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. In other words, as the enemy begins to surround the city of Jerusalem in the end times, at that moment, they're going to see a Savior in the sky come to rescue them. Amen, family? That is God's word. You can go and take a seat at all campuses. And you know, during this past COVID year, I think we all took the time to catch up on some old movies and old shows that we have not watched. And as many of you know, one of my favorite genres of films has to be war movies. So my good friend John Michael asked me, hey, have you seen the movie Dunkirk? And I said, no, I have not seen that movie. In fact, how many of you have seen the movie Dunkirk? But show of hands, yeah. Wow, a good portion of you. Well, this actually was based on a true story from the Second World War. Now, folks, follow me here for a moment. Because the year was, uh, it was May of 1940, and we were eight months into the Second World War. And at that moment, Hitler's army had already overtaken Belgium, and now they were making their way into France and began to overtake that country. And folks, under the sheer number of, the, of, of Hitler's army, the Allied forces began to retreat little by little. And folks, they found themselves cornered in the northern coastal town of France called Dunkirk, right against the North Sea. 
And so family, as all these 400,000 men were stuck there in the little town of Dunkirk and the enemy began to encircle them, folks, every single time that they tried to get off, they would just shoot them down and they had no hope in sight. And so because they were there and they were surrounded, the enemy began to play some psychological games with them. In fact, take a look. Wow, and so you can tell, listen, they were in a dire situation because when they saw the enemy surrounding them, fear and despair began to fill their heart. Why? Because there was no savior in sight. But little did they know, there was a savior on the way. Oh yeah, and his name was Farrier. And family, what they didn't know is that Farrier was making his way to Dunkirk and little by little he would knock down all these different planes that were threatening the troops on that coastline. And folks, as he's running out of gasoline and, and there was one last plane that was threatening their survival, he manages to shoot them down to give them a chance to get off that coast. In fact, take a look at that scene. Wow, what a powerful scene that was, amen? Yeah, and you know, folks, listen, do not miss this. Because when those people were there being surrounded and they had lost all hope of being saved, at that moment, they saw a savior from the sky coming to save them. And family, let me just bring all that over to our time together for today because, folks, what an image of the second coming of Christ, amen? And by that I mean that just like the Allied forces were saved by a Savior in the sky, just like that. And here's the big idea as we dive into God's Word today. When it seems that there will be no more hope, listen, the people of God are going to be saved by a Savior coming from the sky. Amen? And His name is who? It's Jesus Christ. And who knows, maybe right now you're sitting out there right now wondering, well, Pastor, all right, I've heard this before, I understand, but how exactly is that going to be? And where will we be for that? Will we be able to experience that moment? Well, we're going to find out from Mark chapter 13, all right? So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 13. You can also open up your Christ Fellowship apps, follow along there with us. The passages are there, you can fill in the blanks. And today I have three thoughts for us on the second coming of Christ. And so write this down as point number one. First of all, we need to know that Christ will return with great power and glory. Amen, family? In fact, let's go back to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will, get, will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then 
they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great what? Power and glory. Now, pause right there for a moment. Let me just slip us into the scene. Because last week we covered that at the end of present history, there is going to be a time of intense suffering called the Great Tribulation. In fact, Jesus said that there's never going to be a moment like that before. There was never anything like that before or ever will be ever again. And so we covered that last week. So if you were not able to tune in and watch the teaching last week, I want to encourage you, be sure to go to our website and watch it. It will help you give, a, give you a good understanding of the Great Tribulation. And it will help you even understand today's teaching even more. So I want to encourage you to do that. But what we see there is that as God's wrath, right, is being poured down on the unbelieving world during the Great Tribulation, we see then that the unbelieving world, led by the Antichrist, is going to want to destroy anything and everything related to God and his people. And so naturally, all the attention then focuses on the city of Jerusalem. And so we see from Scripture that it seems like an army towards the end of time of about 200 million men will begin to march towards Jerusalem, all these different nations together to try to destroy Jerusalem, and they're going to be marching towards that city. And at that moment, Scripture tells us that at that moment, listen, the Lord will appear again, will come back in great power and glory. What a glorious moment that's going to be. Amen, church family? And so at that moment, here's what's going to happen. As the, the armies are encroaching and they see Jesus Christ come back, the people of Jerusalem are going to look up and finally realize that the one that they've rejected for so long was actually their Messiah and their Savior. In fact, listen to how the book of Zechariah describes it. It says this, And on that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David, the people of Israel, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, notice, when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn as ones who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over a firstborn son. And so family, it's evident that as all these people are gathered against Jerusalem, when Israel looks up, it's almost like scales are gonna fall from their eyes and at that moment, they're finally going to see Christ for who he really is, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Amen? And family, when they realize who they have rejected, the Bible says that they are going to, first of all, mourn. They're going to mourn for the fact that they've rejected the Lord, but also they're going to rejoice. Because at that moment, they saw that his grace and mercy over them, and he's coming back to save them. And so, listen, when he comes back, he's coming back, church family, for two things. Are you ready? Write this down as letter A. First of all, Christ will return to make war. To make war. Now, listen to what it says in the book of Revelation. It says this. Then I saw 
heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it, it's called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes what? He makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which, which he is called is the word of God. And then the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Which, by the way, many assume that this is actually us, the church, the believers in Christ, coming back. Those who have put our faith in him and have gone to heaven, we're going to come back with the Lord at the second coming to witness the judgment of God on the unbelieving world. But then listen to what it says. But from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, it's interesting that when we read this passage, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in his first coming, you know, on, the, on Palm Sunday, when he rode into Jerusalem, do you all remember on what animal he rode in? A donkey, that's right. Because a donkey is a sign of peace. And so what he was saying as he was entering to Jerusalem, he was showing that he was coming in peace. But on what animal is he sitting on now in the second coming? He's on a horse. And a horse is a symbol of war, which means that when he's coming back, listen, he's not coming back in peace, amen? He is coming back for war. But not only that, listen, he's also coming, write this down as letter B, Christ will return to bring judgment, to bring judgment. In fact, listen to how it continues in Revelation chapter 19. It says this, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, where their armies gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image, which, by the way, we spoke about last week briefly on the mark of the beast. And then it says, and these two, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who's sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So family, what we see here is that at this final battle of Armageddon, not only did Christ come back to make war, but he also came back to bring judgment. And we see that at the end of time, he'll gather Satan and the Antichrist and all that, put them in, in hell for, for, um, for judgment. And all those who oppose them, he will bring judgment at that point. And so the question is, well, pastor, where is this war going to take place? I mean, we're talking about Armageddon and all that. Where is this going to take place? Well, the place where, it's gonna, where that's going to be is in this place called the Valley of Megiddo, right here. You see... The name Armageddon comes from the word Megiddo. And so there's a valley in Israel where the Lord is showing us that, folks, even though right now it is a peaceful valley, 
a beautiful valley. This is going to be a place where the Lord will return, where all the armies, with all the nations will gather, and our faithful Lord will return and bring judgment. It may be a place of peace right now, but it will be a place of war and judgment in the future. Now, when we talk about all this, right, it's easy for us to think, all right, Omar, you know, I, I get it. I, I get that this was going to happen, but, but the question is, where will the church be during that time? You know, where will we be? Will we see this? Are we going to be judged alongside the world, in fact? And so write this down as big number two. Because we need to remember that Christ will first rescue his people. Christ will first rescue his people. In fact, let's go back to the gospel of Mark. Listen to what it says. It says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming with clouds, coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven, of the heaven. And so it's evident that as the Lord appears and before he makes war, before he makes judgment, he's going to send out his angels all throughout the earth to every single corner of the earth, and he's going to gather all of his people. But family, he's not only coming to gather those who are alive, but he's also coming to resurrect the bodies of those who died who've put their faith in him. In fact, listen to what it says in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the what? And the dead in Christ will what? Will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You know, so the Apostle Paul here is writing to the church in, in, in Thessalonica, and he's reminding them and really reminding us, listen, that when the Lord returns, he's not only coming to rescue us first, but that he is going to resurrect the bodies of all those who died in him, who put their faith in him in the past. And you know, family, what's interesting is that a, a, a few years back, I've shared with you all that. When my grandmother died, that was a big moment in my life because she pretty much raised me and she was pretty much like another mom to me. And so when my grandmother died, it was a very hard season for me, as you would imagine. And I remember that day that I was by her gravesite and we were about to bury her. And at that moment, you know how it is. You're just processing all these emotions. You're filled with sorrow. And family, as I saw her being lowered down into the ground, it's like the Lord spoke to me at that very moment. And he said, Omar, this place right here is the place that when I return, I'm going to resurrect that body. 
And family, can I tell you, that completely changed my mind about the place where my grandmother is buried. Because I no longer see that place as a place where she's just laying there. But for me, it's the place that when the Lord returns and that trumpet is sound, listen carefully, family, my grandmother will resurrect. Her body will resurrect and she will finally get that glorified body. And folks, that should be encouraging for you and for me. Because we all have, a, most of us have people who've died who were believers in Christ. And when we go to that grave site, listen carefully, we should just not see it somewhere where it's just some remains. But that is that place that the person whom you love, when the Lord returns, their body is going to resurrect again. And you may be wondering, oh, Pastor, what is that body going to be like? You know, how is that going to look like? You all ready? You're going to be back next week. Oh, yeah, we're covering that next week, so be back for that. But, folks, here's the thing. The big debate among theologians and pastors is not so much if the Lord's returning. Listen, we all agree the Lord is coming back. But the big debate is on the timing of his return. And so write this down as letter A. There are three different views on the timing of our rescue. And so I want to show you a little bit of what I mean by the three views. I want to give you a chart so you kind of can visualize. So if we can show the, the chart for here for a moment. So this was a tribulation, right? Last week, like I said earlier, we covered this last in last week's teachings and everything that takes place here. So I want to encourage you again, go back and watch that. But at the end of the tribulation, we see that Christ will return. And after he returns, what happens? The battle of Armageddon. Now, there are three views on the timing of when Christ returns. The first view is called the pre-trib view, for, for pre-tribulation. And what this view holds is that before the tribulation starts, or as it's starting, that God, that Christ will kind of come back almost like halfway and gather his church, go back to heaven, the tribulation starts, and then and then he will come back for the battle of Armageddon. Now, the, the pre-tribulation view is held by many uh, pastors and theologians that, that I respect. Um, and I think it's kind of birthed from the idea that it's hard for them to process a little bit of, of how can the church witness a lot of the tribulation. But this view, the pre-trib view, is actually very, very young. It's about 200 years old. And for us, we think... Well, 200 years is a long time, but in church history, it's still a very, a very new view. And so the pre-troop holds, right, that, that Christ is coming and that he will kind of rapture us before the tribulation starts. So that's one view. The second view is what we call the mid-trib view or the mid-tribulation view. And this view holds that Christ, yet yeah, will kind of sort of come back halfway, gather his church, but right before the, the tribulation begins to intensify. Uh, our former lead pastor, Pastor Rick Blackwood, for a long time in his pastorate, he, he held the pre-trib view. But towards the end, he shifted more to a mid-trib view. And so that's another possible view. And I've had really good conversations with Pastor Rick and we've, you know, about different views and talking through things. And, and that's where, where he stands more or less. And then the third view is called the post-trib view. And the post-trib view holds that the church will witness a lot of the tribulation, but right when the second coming happens, that is when we are gathered to him, 
And then he comes down and levies that final judgment. So those are the three views on the timing. But you may be wondering, well, Pastor Omar, which way do you lean? You know, what view do you, do you lean towards to? Well, I personally lean more towards the post-trib view. And there are three reasons why. I want to just share this with you so you have an understanding. First of all, let's go back to Mark chapter 13. Listen to what it says in Mark 13. It says, but in those days, it says, after that tribulation, so after the tribulation takes place, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And so it seems that like Jesus is, is, is kind of inferring here that after the tribulation takes place, right? If we can go back to this, yeah. After the tribulation takes place, towards the end, that's when he's going to gather his, his people. And so that's the first reason I kind of lean that way. The second reason is because, as you can imagine, this is a very, uh, you know, a, a topic of discussion. And the Apostle Paul actually writes in the book of, of 2 Thessalonians in order to clarify this whole topic. You see, the first letter that Paul wrote, which we read earlier, there was a big concern that the Lord had come, gather his people, and people were left behind. Now, you got to keep in mind that in the early church, for Paul, the disciples, the apostles, the early church, they all were under the impression that Christ was returning in their lifetime. And so they were imminent waiting for them. So when people that they loved who had put their faith in Christ began to die, they thought, wait, 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 wait a second. Christ hasn't returned so what's going to happen to those believers who passed away? Well, Paul writes in the, first church, in the first letter to the Thessalonians to not to worry because when Christ returns, right, he's going to resurrect the bodies of those believers who passed away, and then we will all be gathered together with the Lord. And so, the, so that's the reason that Paul writes that, that first letter. But as you can imagine... There was still some confusion. People were still debating about it. And to make matters worse, they started receiving letters like if it was from one of the apostles saying that the day of the Lord already came and they were left behind. So then the apostle Paul grabs another pen letter and sends another letter to clarify a lot of these misunderstandings. And so listen to what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But you got to keep in mind Think about the mentality of how Paul is writing this letter, right? Listen to what it says. It says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. In other words, me being gathered, Apostle Paul, and the church being gathered together, right? It says, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or a spoken word, or a, as a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. So Paul's writing to the letter, and he's making sure, listen, don't think that the day of the Lord has already come from a letter that seems from us, because listen, church, there has to be some things that have to take place before, the, before we, the Lord comes and we are gathered together with him. And so he goes on to explain. He says, for that day, right, that day that Christ is going to return to gather his people, 
will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And then the, law, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with the breath of his mouth and to bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And so it's clear that the apostle Paul, in his mind, he's saying, listen, don't freak out that God, that Christ already came and we're left behind because certain things need to happen before he comes back to get us. And folks, and folks, once we see the Antichrist go into the temple, once we see him proclaim himself as God, we've studied this in the, in the weeks before this, after all that happens, then, then his return is imminent. Once that takes place and the church sees that taking place, then the, ret the return of Christ is imminent. And folks, that's when all the passages that allude to the fact that we don't know when Christ is coming, that's when it happens. Because once we see all that take place, then folks, he can return at any moment. See, going back to the, to the chart, if we can go back to the chart for just a moment, the reason I lean away from the preacher view is because according to the preacher view, we don't see any of that. And Paul's explicitly saying, we got to see all that before he comes back to rescue us. And so the third reason why I lean away from that and towards the, 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 the post-trib is because the pre-trib view is a relatively young view, like I said earlier, about 200 years old. You know, the reality is that the early church fathers, the apostles, the disciples, um, all the great theologians from the majority of church history has never really held the pre-trib view. They've all leaned towards the post-trib view because that's what we deduce from the text. And so, you know, in theological circles, we always have a thing. When, whenever there's a brand new teaching, there's always something that we kind of look at with skepticism, right? Because what we learn is exactly what we, from the beginning of the church. And so that's kind of some of the reasons that I lean towards the post-trip view. But here's what I want you to understand. Wherever you land on this, some of you may be pre-trip, some of us may be mid-trip, some of us may be post-trip. Listen, can I tell you something? It doesn't ultimately really matter. And here's why. Write this down as letter B. Because our hope is not on the timing, but our hope is on the certainty of his return. Can I get an amen to that? You see, children of God, listen, we all may have different views as to the timing, and that's why I've always stressed since the beginning of the series, listen, we approach all this with humility, we show grace to each other, but listen, children of God, our hope is not on the timing on some theories, our hope is on the fact that he will return, amen, church? That is where we place our hope. And so the question that I've been posing every single time in this series towards seeing is, so Omar, what does that mean for me today? Because I'm sitting here at church right now, I'm watching online. So what does that mean for me today? We'll write this down as big number three. Listen, until Christ returns, we should live lives in holiness. In holiness. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 2 Peter chapter 3. 
In fact, it is the last letter that Peter writes to us, to the church. He says this. He says, therefore, beloved. Therefore, people who are loved by God, children of God, listen carefully. Since you are waiting for these things, right? Since you are waiting for everything that God has promised us, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. In other words, listen, until the Lord comes, church, let's live lives that pursue holiness. Let's be people who pursue godliness in our lives, that we pursue the righteousness of God, that we pursue purity in every area of our lives. So when the Lord comes, whenever that would be, he would find people that are living blameless, holy lives. In fact, can I tell you the litmus test of where you're setting your hope is the way you live your life? Because the reality is, listen, when, if, 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 you say, if you say that your hope is in Christ, is in the second coming of Christ, but you are living in the world, you're pursuing the things of the world, listen, don't deceive yourself. Because the reality is that your hope is not on Christ, but is rather on the things of the world. Because when you truly have your hope in the things of Christ, in his second return, in all of his promises, listen, you live life accordingly. Your life reflects it. Amen? You pursue holiness. You pursue righteousness. Why? Because that's what he's asked us to do. That is why he died for us. He says, listen, until I return, you live lives of holiness without blemish or spot. And then... Not only that, but also write this down as the second part of big three. He says this, and until Christ returns, let's live lives in holiness and at peace. At peace. Listen to how Peter ends his letter. He says this, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at what? And at what? And at peace. So Peter's saying, listen, whenever the Lord decides to come back, whenever he does return, be sure that you are found by him in peace. You know, when he returns and he sees all the people on earth and people are fearing and despairing, that one way that he's going to be able to clearly identify who is his is by the people who are at peace. Amen? See, this is why the Lord tells us in John chapter 16, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation." In your life, you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so listen, I don't know what's happening in your life right now. You may be sitting at whatever campus, you may be online right now, and you know, you're going through some trials in your life. 
things with your family, with your marriage, an issue with your child, something in your business, in your career, finances, retirement, listen, you know what they are. But let me remind you, in this world you have will have tribulation. But be at peace, for the Lord has overcome the world. Listen, as we go through the trials in life, yes, they will be painful. Yes, they will be difficult. But the one thing that we can confidently rest in, that our sovereign God is in control. And because he's in control and everything is heading to a specific place, listen, we can rest and we can be at peace. Amen, church family? Listen, children of God, be at peace. And who knows, maybe you're here today and the reality is, The last thing you're experiencing right now is peace. And the reason that you don't have peace in your life is because you don't have a relationship with God. And you may be wondering, well, Pastor, I know I need to get right with God. I, I know that I got to take the step to start a relationship with the Lord. Because the last thing I have in my life is peace. And I know there's something in me that needs to be right with God. So how do I do that? And the Bible says this, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from your sin, saved from the coming judgment, saved from everything. So maybe wonder, well, Pastor, how can I call on the Lord? Well, it's not by coming to church. It's not by watching online. It's not by going doing good things. It's not by doing, relying on a ritual that you did when you were a little kid. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And so, listen, there has to be a moment in our life, church family, listen, where we come before the Lord and we put our trust and our faith in him. We put our trust, we, we put our trust in his life, death, and resurrection. And the Bible says that the moment that we come to Christ in faith, he not only forgives us of all of our sins, every shameful thing that you have ever done, he forgives you of all of your sin. Then he adopts you as a son and daughter. And from that point on, listen, you go on to live a life of eternity. You're not destined for judgment anymore. You're destined to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But there has to be a point that you come to the Lord in faith and you put your faith and trust in him. The question is, will you do so today? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, today we come. And Father, your children, thank you, O God. Lord, that you have given us your word. And Father, because you have given us your word and we know what the future holds, Father, let us now pursue righteousness. Let us pursue holiness. And Father, let us be at peace. Thank you, O oh God, for the fact that you overcame the world and that we can rest in you. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to speak to some of us here today who you're that person that wants to take that, that step of faith.
So listen, in a few moments, I want to lead you through a prayer. And I always remind you, is that a poem or script? It's just me helping you talk to God. And when you pray that prayer, you don't pray this to me. You pray this to the Lord. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who has a plan for your life. And he's the one who's ready to forgive you of all of your sins. But you've got to come. So if that's you, pray this with me today. Father, today I realize, Lord, what the future holds. And all I know is that I want to be by your side when all this happens. So, Father, today I come before you. And I confess all of my sin. I ask you for forgiveness for those sins. And, Father, today I put my trust and my faith, not in the things of this world, but I put my faith and trust in you. Make me your own today. And for the rest of my life, Lord, help me to pursue righteousness. Help me to pursue glorifying you. And, Father, help me to live a life in peace, knowing that you have saved me. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those who came to know Christ today. Because if that's you and you are at one of our campuses, here's what I want to encourage you to do. On your way out, stop by our next set booth. Listen, we want to put a Bible in your hand and we want to get you connected to one of our pastors so we can help you take steps in your walk with the Lord. Or if you're watching online, go to cfmiami.org slash connect, fill that form out, and one of our pastors will reach out to you. But be sure that you, that you give us a way to start helping you in your walk with the Lord, all right? Well, then be back next week because we're starting a brand new series called Living the Good Life. You know, we all know what the world thinks is living the good life is, right? But next week, we're gonna, as we start winding down the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see from Scripture what is the good life that God envisions for you. So be back, be back next week. Bring a friend. I'm telling you, they're going to love it, all right? I'm going to call all campus pastors to the front, Christ Fellowship. I love you all. God bless you. Have a great, great weekend.